Tonight we have Brad Winstrom, who is a wonderful friend of ours, who's a seminary professor and has been going to SCUM for quite some time. And he's going to come speak to us about calling. So, Brad. I had a unique experience a couple years ago. Um, I'm not the typical scum person who has the artistic talents or the musical talents. I have a little bit more of the um, stereotypical athletic kind of drive and being raised in the Midwest. Hockey is something that's been an interest. Um, and I was given free tickets when the Avalanche were in the playoffs going back a few years ago. 21st row up from the ice at the blue line, if you know anything about hockey, not cheap, not cheap. It's back when their current coach, Patrick Waugh, was in the net and their current VP of um, hockey operations, Joe Sackick, was on the ice. And just a phenomenal experience being there. And we show up and there's these little white pom-poms in the back of the chair. So, yeah, you know, it's had to do the little pom-pom shaking thing. Interpretive dance is what it, um, Leonore wants some night to have no sermon and just interpretive dance. Um, and so that will not happen tonight, I guarantee it. Um, but um, one thing that struck me as I was there, as I was watching, and the puck zips back and forth and the skating and, and just uh, the amazing athleticism of the men that were on the ice, and I was thinking, you know, they are the minority. They are the ones who over the years have been gone through that funnel of we started as little boys and where there was thousands and it just narrows down to where now the minority who are the cream of the crop were out on the ice. Uh, kind of like those of you that are musicians, now I'm dating myself here when I say that the best bands were like Skinnerd, Zeppelin, Stones, never a Stones fan, no. Scrawny little guy, you know, get that out of my mind. Um, but there again, too, you know, all the garage bands that narrow down to the minority who are just the cream of the crop. And I began thinking that I'm part of that majority like the rest of us. Just, you know, the bulk of us that, that just kind of think we're just there. We're, we're not that cream of the crop. And, and I heard one time, and I, I did some uh, trolling on Facebook, so we're going to get a, a few lovely images up here. But I'd heard one time that, you know, in America, there are three classes of people. There are the intellectual. There are the good-looking. And look back at the scoop, and you will see the good-looking. There are the majority, just the rest of us. In the church, a lot of times, we think there are the preachers and teachers. Oh. There are those who are musically and artistically talented. And then there's the majority, the rest of us. And tonight, what I want to do is I want to talk to those of us that are in the majority, those of us that feel like we're just kind of there, those of us that feel like 
And as Leonore kind of intonated, I, my, my career in ministry going back in the dark ages was in what we used to term Christian education, which was those who trained and equipped and sent out the masses to do the work of the Lord in the church and in the, in, out in the mission fields. And so um, tonight I'm going to um, talk a little bit about that whole idea and kind of do the two things that preachers do. Preachers have two main tasks. One is to comfort the afflicted. So I'm going to do a little comforting of the afflicted tonight. I'm going to kind of encourage those of us that think we're part of the majority. I'm going to encourage us into, you know what, when it comes into the role of God's kingdom, we all have been called and gifted. So I'm going to kind of give that comforting to the afflicted. But then there's the second role, which to some comes easier than others, is to afflict the comfortable. And so tonight I'm going to kind of push a little bit on you as well to afflict the comfortable and to kind of say, you know what? You know, you have been called, you have been gifted. So then stay tuned. We'll get to that point. Now, hopefully, we will be on the same page here because I gave a whole bunch of slides, and sometimes when I'm up here, the notes kind of go out the window. So if things don't match, it's not his fault. It's my fault. Um, but as we jump into this tonight, I'm going to look at a text of Scripture. This is going to be our main text, but I'm going to bounce around and get a few other things too as well. Um, but let's pray first. Father God, I give you praise for the chance to gather tonight. Father, I give you praise um, for the worship that's already taken place. Father, I just pray that as we as a body come together this evening, that uh, you may do those two things in each of our lives tonight. You might encourage us, you might lift us us up, but as well you might press us forward. So, Father, that's our prayer, and we give this time to you. The text that's going to show up here is coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, rolling over into 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, I, I chose this text because for me, um, it's always, and I'm going to sit down so I'm not in anybody's way here, which I have a tendency to stand in the way, um, and that is really afflicting to you when I stand in your way and you have to see me. But um, this is a text written by the Apostle Paul. Paul is someone who we look to as this great hero of the faith, this one who has written all of these um, books in the Bible, somebody we look to as this great man of God who must have been in the minority. Well, in some ways he was, but at the same time, as you read his text, and this is a little longer, and I'm going to read it off the screen, um, he points out that he himself needed to be encouraged and pressed on because he felt like many of us at many times. The first slide shows when he's writing to the Corinthian church, and he's kind of saying to them things that you really wouldn't want your pastor to say to you. You would feel pretty lowly if Mike stood up here and was pointing out all of our weaknesses and telling us, you know what? You're not very good looking. You know what? You're pretty ill-equipped. You know what? You're pretty inept. You're pretty small. What do you think you're doing? And Paul talks that way to the Corinthian church. But then he hits them with a zinger to give them the answer as to why they have value to step from the majority and to be engaged in the calling God gave to them. 
The second slide then is going to be Paul talking about himself. Paul's going to be talking about himself in terms of who he was and how he had all of these needs and how he fell short. But then he's going to give that zinger as well saying, you know what? Here's why I could do what I did. And as we read this, remember that the same is true for you as is for the Corinthian church and as is for Paul. So take that as encouragement. But let me read this to you. Brothers and sisters, Paul's writing, says, think about what you were when you were called. Not many. He says, you're dumb. He says, you, were, you didn't do too well on your ACTs. He says, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things, the despised things, the things that are not, which is language in the New Testament, which is talking about slaves, the things that are not. They had no value. They did not fit into society. They belonged to someone else. The things that are not, i find my place here, to, to, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is a righteousness, holiness, redemption. Therefore, as it is written, where does our boasting go? Where does our empowerment go? Where does our gifting come from? Where does our strength come from? Where does our wisdom come from? But the one who boasts, boast in Mike Sayers. Let the one who boasts, boast in themselves. Now it says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Flip. Now, Paul talking about himself. Think about this, the man that we hold up as this man that we say, wow, he wrote Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus. Wow, but Paul says of himself, so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence. I did not come with human wisdom. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. But what brought the persuasive words? What brought the power? What brought the strength? What brought the conversion growth? A demonstration of the Spirit's power. Such so your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So the first point, the first thing that I want to get across, that there is a ministry for the majority. There may not be a place for us out on the ice, because we're not that gifted minority. But when it comes to God's economy, when it comes to God's kingdom, when it comes to the place at scum of the earth, when it comes to the place where you live out in the world, there's a place, there's a calling, there's a ministry for you. You may say, I'm not qualified, I'm not capable, I'm one of the majority, but that's not God's opinion. I want to share quickly some examples from the text of Scripture. I'm going to give you some names that you might know, especially if you were raised as that little girl or boy in Sunday school, just quickly share some names and say, look at, 
Here's how they could do what they did. First one, obviously, was Paul. Paul says not with wise words, not with eloquence, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5. That's how Paul was able to do it. Church at Corinth. We read what Paul said about the church of Corinth. How was it they could do it? How was it God could use them? Goes on to say then in 1 Corinthians 1, 29 and 31, so no one may boast in themselves, but they could do it. God used them because it was the Lord working through them. Peter and John, Peter and John, disciples. Great text. They're out healing, they're out praying, they're out doing miracles, and the people are looking at them. People are saying, why are they doing this? What's going on? The text says, and this is in Acts 4.13, says, when the people saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, They were like us. They were part of the majority. Unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished. You ever feel like people look at you and say, how bad is that person even doing anything of substance for the kingdom? I'm not looking at you saying that, okay, because I'm looking down there. But why was it they could do it? They had been with Jesus. Again, it was that empowering from Jesus Christ himself It was that God working through them, unschooled, ordinary, GEDs. Maybe they hadn't even, I mean, we're looking at them. They hadn't even come out of any level of schooling. They were fishermen. They were common tradesmen, living hand to mouth, fish to mouth. But it's because they had been with Jesus. Moses great story. You've got Moses. God calls Moses. He says, go to the palace, stand before Pharaoh, the one who, if he doesn't like, you can say, take him out behind the barn and shoot him. Off with his head. Go lead those six million Jews out of Egypt. He does it because, as it says here, God said to him, remember that experience where he was called? He goes out, he's shepherding the sheep, he sees that bush that's burning, but it's not burning up. It's on fire, but it's not burning up. The voice comes out of the bush and says, Moses. I think it sounded a little like that, maybe. Take off your shoes for your unholy ground. And then God, through that burning bush experience, calls him. I feel like I should be doing the Blomberg here. God calls him. Moses doesn't want to do it, but God says, you know what? I'm going to be the one who speaks through you. I'm going to be the one who gives you the words to say. Moses doesn't believe it, and so God says, what do you got in your hand? He says, I got this little stick here I used to beat the wolves away from the sheep. God says, throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground, and comes a snake. If it was my wife, she'd be running the opposite way. God says, pick it up, picks it up, and it turns back into a rod. God's showing him, I'm going to be the one that's doing these things through you. 
Another text, I'll just put it up there quickly, comes out of, um, this is David. You know the story of David? That Saul has been turned down, has been pushed away, rebuffed. God has said, I'm done with you as king. I want you to go find that second king who will take his place. He sends him to the house of Jesse. He goes to the house of Jesse, and Jesse's got, I can't see, there's six or eight sons. I can't remember. Sounds like one of those reality TV shows, you know, Jesse, Aiden counting or something. But so then he has them march before him. The first one, Eliab, comes. John had told me to say something good about him tonight. So the first one looks like John. Big strapping, muscular, athletic, and Samuel, young, yeah, uh-huh, married up. It's only because his bride. And Samuel says, that is the one. And God looks and says, ain't no way. God says, no, no. Man looks at the outside. God looks at the inside. That's not the one. And so Samuel goes through the whole list of them, and they, there's no one that God says, this is the one. And, they, and Samuel says, is there any others? Yeah, there's a little runt. He's out in the, the field with the sheep. Go get him. In comes little David. God says, this is the one. And if you read this, you can see, I won't take time to read it. This is, comes from Psalm 18 is kind of a soliloquy where David is kind of talking about how he was able to accomplish the things he did. And if you read through this, it says, you are the one that armed me for battle. You're the one that trained my hands for battle. You're the one that made me stand up and not twist my ankle. You're the one who deserves the power, the strength, the honor, and the glory. David. I could just keep going through the list. And, and if you think about think about Esther, who goes and stands before the king and that great line for such a time as this, who goes because God has given her favor. Think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. The angel comes and says, you know what? You're going to be pregnant. How's that going to work out? You've all had your fifth grade sex ed. It doesn't work that way. And God says, no, you're going to be pregnant with the son of the Most High. And what does she say? Be to, be to me as you will. Hannah, who God in her barrenness gives her that son, Samuel. Joseph, Jacob, go down through the lists. And again, those ones from the majority that God chose, and it's only because he called and he empowered, and he sent, and they were faithful to that call. This is the encouragement that I want to give to you today, is that you are in the same place as them. God is calling you the same as he called them. If you think about Paul, I love in the beginning of some of the epistles where Paul is, is talking, giving his greeting, and he says, you know what? He says, before the foundations of the earth. God knew me before I was even born. God called me. And if you read in the Psalms, it says the same thing about you. It says, while you were still in your mother's womb, before the creation of the universe, God knew you and called you, set you apart. As it says in Ephesians, you're saved unto good works. 
that there's a calling that's on you. So that's, that's the comforting and the encouragement that I want to bring to you. It's a privilege and a responsibility, though, to follow through on that. Here comes the afflicting. See, you should never sit in the front row within the reed chair because I can come and beat on you. This is the, the kind of poking at you to say, you know what? God has called you and gifted you, but you then need to do something with it. You need to step up. You need to follow through. And again, to return to, okay, just again, I want to make sure I'm not off on our, our stuff here. Um, you think about Moses. Kick back to that story of Moses. And you've got Moses, and he gets that call. Moses, like many of us, Moses says, but God, I can't talk so good. God, why me? There's a great book written by Joe Briscoe, who is older than John. That was something good, too, right? Okay. Somebody's older than you. In the title of the book, it's a study of, of Moses. And the title of the book is, Here Am I, Send Aaron. Here am I, send Aaron. And isn't that our feeling some of those times? Moses says, oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. God goes through that litany of saying, I'm going to give you the words to say, look, here, look what you did with this staff here. It turned into a snake. I'm going with you. I'm going before you. And Moses says, send someone else. You've heard yourself say that, right? And then... It goes on, and the very next verse, I think, is one of the scariest verses in the Bible. Because it goes on to say, Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. God calls. God says, I'm going with you. God says, I'm empowering you. God says, I'm going to do the work for you and through you. Moses says, I ain't going. I don't have what it takes. Maybe he's thinking, I don't have the time. Maybe, maybe you'll hear yourself on some of these. I don't think he really said this, but maybe he's saying, you know what? My band is just about ready to hit it big. And you know what? Maybe I'll do it later. Maybe Moses was thinking, again, this is the 21st century Moses, you know, I'm kind of busy at work. I just got this new job, and, and, and maybe then I'll go when I get a little bit more established. Maybe Moses was thinking, you know, when we, when we get our debts paid off, maybe I'll go then. Maybe Moses was thinking, you know, my kids are little. Again, 21st century Moses here. This is not in the text of Scripture. Don't burn me at the stake after my kids are little. When they grow up, then maybe I can build the list of what goes on in our mind. Hopefully, this verse is not what God is saying to us. But to me, again, I think this is a pretty scary verse. The Lord's anger burned against Moses. So I want to go on and... and, and 
kind of encourage out of this at the same time as continue this kind of a little push and a little, here I come again, poke and a little prod. And if my cord wasn't taped down, I could go poke some more of you here. But God had called, God had commanded, God had promised. Moses tried to get out of it. How does that relate to us? God has called us to serve him. God has even gifted us for service. Like Moses, we run, we close our ears, we rationalize, we make up excuses. Sometimes we do everything but follow through. Don't take seriously God's command. Again, kind of some of the takeaways is it's a privilege and a responsibility. It's a joy and a calling. It's kind of that fun recreation of working out our giftedness, the fruitfulness and fulfillment of serving, but as well, it's the, the responsibility. It's work. And so I want to point out the spiritual gift passages. We're not going to read them. There's four of them in the text of Scripture. I point these out to you because uh, Ephesians 4 is the Classic one, I think, because it starts out in verse 1 of Ephesians 4 using the imagery of a conquering king. In the Old Testament time, if the king, the kings went out to battle. The kings were not like our presidents today who sit at home pushing buttons and saying, you go fight. The kings were out there with the battling warriors. That's why the thing with David and Bathsheba, which is so significant, it says during the time of war, when the kings were out to war, when the kings were out to battle, David wasn't with them. He was back with his binoculars looking at the chick on the roof next door. But the kings, the imagery there in Ephesians 1, the king went out to battle. When they whooped the butts of the people that they were fighting, they then got to keep the spoils they took the women, the children, they took the gold, frankincense and myrrh. They took all of the stuff, and then they came back with it to their kingdom. And as they came back, they kind of like, you know, when, when Stephen has a, has a good year, you know, in the, the print shop, and he's got John as employee, and he says, John, I'm going to give you a little bonus. I'm going to share a little bit of the bounty of what we've made here. The kings would come back, so tell him I said, you know, John will say thank you when he gets that bonus. So when the, the kings came back, they would give out to their friends and to their people some of the spoils. And that's what it says in Ephesians 1, leading into that idea of spiritual giftedness, that the king went off to battle, the king won, the king gathered in the goodies, the king then came back and gave out some of the gifts. The imagery, Jesus Christ went to the cross defeated Satan and death. He rose from the dead. He then gathered together all of the riches of the kingdom, and then he gave out gifts to us, his friends. Those of us that love him, that have made that commitment to him in Jesus Christ, and that he gave out to us those gifts, which then it goes into the spiritual gifts passages. It talks about the gift of apostle, the gift of teacher, the gift of preaching, the gift of compassion, the gift of mercy, the gift of service that goes through these gifts that were given. And so that each one of us at that first birth or that second birth have been given gifts. 
And so that's the imagery in Ephesians 4. All four of these texts talk about those spiritual gifts. There's a list that comes out of each one of them. Now, they're not all inclusive, and I love to tell this to those of you who are artsy-fartsy, that one of the gifts that doesn't show in these lists but shows in the Old Testament when they're building the tabernacle, and I got the guy's name. It starts with a B, but it talks about the bee man who has been given the gift of craftsmanship to help with the building of the tabernacle. So there is a gift of craftsmanship, a gift of musicianship, a gift of art, artistic reach or whatever, um, which I don't have. Um, but each one of these four, and the reason why I point these out, and we're going to just show one verse from each one of these texts, because in every one of these texts where it talks about the gifts, every one of them in some place, it talks about that they were given to you, to us, not for Jesse's sake, not for your own sake, but they were given to be used for others. Every one of those four texts said the gifts were given to be used for others. 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts were given to be used for others. For the common good, not to be hoarded unto yourself. Romans 12. This is the one coming out of that body imagery where it says some is the arm, some are the legs, some are the armpits, some are the big toe, some are the tongue. And it talks about that the body fits together as a whole. It says that we all form one body and we belong to each other. And it talks about the gifts. And the gifts are to be used for others, not for yourself. Ephesians 4. From Christ Jesus, the whole body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part, not as pastors have come, not as my mommy and daddy, not as my best friend, but as each part. First Peter 4, each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. The verse in Colossians, we're going to skip past to keep moving because I want to drive this home. So it's time to get off the bench. It's time to get your butts in gear. It's time to get out on the ice. It's time to understand you've been gifted. You've been called. The Lord's anger burns against Moses. Is it burning against us? The call for us is to utilize those gifted gifts that we've been given. It's our privilege. It's what you were created to be and created to do. It's a responsibility. It's the work. It's the calling that God's given to us. Salvation is not just to have your ticket punch to get on that gospel train, chugga, 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 and to head to heaven. It's to be involved in kingdom service and ministry. I'm going to end with three examples and turn it back over to the worship team. The first one I'm not going to tell you who this person is from the 1800s. I'm sure you all look up there and say, I know who that is. That's Mike Sayers. No, it is not, and it's not his dad or his grandfather. But here is somebody who was definitely a part of the majority that answered the call that God gave him, stepped up, 
And God did phenomenal things through him. Member of his church looking at him. The first time I ever saw him was in a little shanty that had been abandoned by a saloon keeper. Chicago, this gentleman came to faith. He said, I want to be involved in the church. And they looked at him and they said, ain't no way. And they literally told him, if you can go and get the people who will be a part of your ministry, then you can do it. So he had to go out. He went out onto the beaches, out into the streets of Chicago, and found children who then he brought in together, and he started teaching them. He had managed to get possession of the place in order to hold a meeting that night. I was a little late, had never met him, but when I came in, the first thing I saw was a heavy-set man standing up holding a small boy in his arms. By the light of a few candles, he was trying to read to the boy the story of the prodigal son. A great many of the words he could not even make out, so he had to skip them. I thought if the Lord could ever use such an instrument as that for his honor and glory, it will certainly astonish me. Had little formal education, never mastered grammar, spelling, or pronunciation. When he was nervous, he stammered. To make matters worse, his mother could never understand or support that he went into ministry. The man who led him to Christ said, I can truly say, and in saying this, I magnify the infinite grace of God as bestowed upon him, that I have seen few persons whose minds were spiritually darker than his. I think the committee of the church seldom met an applicant for membership more unlikely ever to become a Christian of clear and decided views of gospel truth, still less to fill an extended sphere of public usefulness. So, of course, part of the majority, cash it in, go home, don't do anything, let the others do it. No, he established a school for girls, an academy for boys, a training school for religious workers, a Bible conference, now you're going to probably figure out some of you who it is. A Bible Institute, which has two to 3,000 students. Executive ability that caused men of great wealth to contribute generously to his institutions. He established publishing outlets. His brother-in-law, those of you that read will know this name, his brother-in-law, Fleming H. Revell, started the publishing house to promote the ministries of his brother-in-law. He wrote songs, published songs, which sold 10 million copies. He and his ministry partner did a preaching tour of England, Scotland, and it wasn't Ben. Um, witnessed there a great religious awakening, unparalleled since the days of Wesley. On the return to the States, large meetings were held, preached in every major city of the U.S., addressed over 50 million people, came to hear this man paint word pictures in warm and homey language, um, one more thing, he was responsible almost solely for establishing the YMCA in the United States, set up a program for systematic evangelical tract distribution, preached to men in prison. Who is it? Nope, nope. Moody, Dwight L. Moody, Moody Bible Institute. How did he do it? How did, you were all thinking Jesse Heilman, no, Dwight Moody. Early in his ministry career, before he became famous, Moody was known to have said, I have only one talent. I have no education, but I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to do something for him. Pray for me. 
In a meeting, Moody had heard someone say, it remains to be seen what God can do if he can find a man who will completely surrender him to him. Moody left that meeting determined to be that man. God empowered him as he stepped forward and was a faithful steward of that calling. Next one you will never have heard of. The only people who know this person are my wife and my daughter. It's a picture of me and my parents at my dad's 80th birthday. I point to my father. My father, simple man, high school education, only one in his family that finished high school. When he was five years old, his father, my paternal grandfather, took his own life. So my dad was raised with no male influences, raised by a Swedish immigrant grandmother who very little education, never got a driver's license, had to go to work in the laundry of a factory to support the four kids. My dad is the one who wore hand-me-downs. This is very much post right on the tail end of the Depression. Even had to wear hand-me-downs from his sister. Went to school with a cardboard in his shoes. Um, my daughter and wife will tell you his social skills are not the kind that would you would want him sitting at the royal table. Um, but he is a man that has stepped up and been faithful to the God call God put on him. Just a few of the things that I just point out that he's done. When he was a young adult, he helped plan a church. He got involved in youth ministry. He couldn't do this, the teaching. He didn't have those skills. So his initial roles were as the disciplinarian because he didn't have what it took to stand up. He was the not with wise and persuasive words. He worked in what's called Christian Service Brigade, which was Christian camping, basically, in, in Christian Boy Scouts. Um, Usher taught Sunday school, Christian education board, property and finance board, um, simple maintenance work, uh, drove the van, coached basketball and baseball at the church. And the most important is he hauled my friends and I almost every Sunday night out for pizza through junior high and senior high, just that faithfulness to his family. And he was the one that drove the car when we went TPing. Remember that important stuff. He was a Cub Scout pack master. He was a booster club president at my high school. I can't tell you the number of my friends and other students around my age that come to me and say, you know what a significant influence your dad had in my life. And it wasn't because of anything he taught or preached. It was because of his faithfulness to the calling God gave to him as a very simple man, a part of the majority. Even now at age 82... My mom is the head, what we call deaconess, an official language at my church in Illinois. So she's in charge of a lot of the pastoral care and the funerals and that. He's there all the time washing dishes. That's what he does. My mom's out there doing the stuff and the, the ministering of word, and he's in the back washing dishes. No degrees, certificates, titles, training, experience, didn't run with the big dogs, really poor social skills, but stepped up, answered the call, was faithful, and the words I think of 
faithful, dependent upon God, hardworking, unselfish, committed to God's kingdom and to his story. And just one last thing, which to me I, I, I'd love to share. It's um, Richard Halverson, who was um, uh, president of World Vision for 20 years, and then he was 14 or 17 years, I can't remember. He was the chaplain of the U.S. Senate, um, recently deceased. This is a um, kind of a free verse, a uh, little writing, reading that he wrote, and um, Please excuse the masculine terminology. If you are of the, the female species, um, take this for yourself as well. And let me get out of the view here. Can you see there, young lady? Okay. Whoa. <laughs> if I fall, you, you can finish it. I'll just go. Um, but to me, this is powerful. So here we go. God calls a man gives him a vision, anoints him for its fulfillment. Obedient to the call in the light of the vision and the power of the anointing, his labors are blessed with unusual results. Others take notice, want to get in on the act. And to me, one of the powerful things about this is in this generation and being a person who trains pastors, this is so true, you know. What happens? Bill Hybels does great things. People say, how'd you do it? So he starts the Willow Creek Association. Everybody gets a satellite dish. They go and they watch his stuff and they say, now I can do what Bill did. This is great. This is 21st century American churchianity. And Halverson, when he wrote this back in the 60s, 70s, even then was kicking that in the butt and saying, no, it's God's empowerment. Others take notice, want to get in on the act. They ask the man how he did it, the assumption being that if they did as he did, they would achieve as he achieved. He begins to analyze what he did, comes up with the methods that were born out of the call, the vision, and the anointing. Enough people ask him how he did it. He'll publish a manual setting forth the methods he used. Then anybody can buy the manual, apply the methods, get the same results, or so the idea goes. Somehow the call, the vision, the anointing are forgotten or ignored or subordinated to the mechanics. As though God could not do another thing with another man or another woman. As though God had run out of calls or visions or power. As though God had no new ways to do what had never been done before. How distinct the servants of God in the Bible, how distinct the pastors at scum, how distinct the members of, and tenders of scum, how different their ways of doing things, yet how incredible their effectiveness when each was him or herself, as God called and envisioned and anointed him or her to be. God has not changed. He wants to do the same today with those who will yield to him, to be led by him, and allow him to teach them his ways as they are faithful to the calling, to the vision, to the anointing, to the giftedness that God has given to them and to each one of you. So as I was called by Mike on Thursday night, I said, Mike, I will not take the next step into the Lord's Prayer let me kind of bring the passion of my heart. We as a church are at an interesting, unique point. Um, 
We've had some staff leave, moved on. Uh, we now have got the prayer and fasting movement happening. There's some things that we're just kind of on this, you know, how a teeter-totter kind of goes like this. And, you know, one day you might think, oh, man, we're on this kind of a funky kind of a feel. And then the next day it's like, I mean, like last week when Deva and, and the worship team were leading us through the resurrection song and you just felt God and the power of the Holy Spirit come down through that roof. And I'm surprised there's not a hole come down and just empower the body here. Sometimes you feel like it's going that way. We're at this kind of a funky place. And, and I think one of the things that God needs is for each one of us to say, what is that calling, that vision, that anointing, that giftedness that he's given to me? Where can I step out and not be like Moses when he said, I ain't going to go, but be like Moses when he did go? Be like David when he stepped forth as that little boy. Be like Mary when she said, I don't get it. I don't like it. People are going to laugh at me. They're going to say, what's going on? Oh, look at her. <laughs> She's an unwed mother. You know what that means. The little stick turned pink or whatever color, and she ain't got no man. And she said, you know what? Because God has told me I'm stepping forward. And so the challenge I bring to us the encouragement, you may be the majority, but God is still called and empowered and gifted. But then the challenge is step forward into that, and where's God going to use that as you are faithful to that? Just one quick aside is that I'm not convinced, I'm not trying to say, sorry, Leonore, that it has to happen at scum. Somebody like Stephen... Now, Leonore, uh, she's a pastor here, but she's out doing her frenzy thing. You know, talk about ministry. Stephen, out, and I don't hear, he's not a mouthful of thunder, he's something else. Um, but the ministry that he's doing. My main ministry is actually at my daughter's high school. They're long gone, but I didn't have enough credits to graduate, so I'm still there. And so a lot of my ministry takes place there. So don't walk out of here thinking Brad's saying, scum needs 27 new workers. Well, we do. But at the same time, your calling and giftedness may be out on the streets of Denver, Brother John. It may be in the prisons. I don't know. But God has called and gifted and anointed. And so as, as these guys and gals, it's two guys, one gal, come back up to the front, um, I want to encourage you to just give some thought to that. And there are going to be a few people down in the, the prayer cave if you want to go down and say, hey, pray for me as I step into my calling. For God to help me understand what is it, who I am, and who, what he has for me. And so if you'd like to go down and join them, uh, they will be down there. Otherwise, uh, Deva and the crew will take us home um, or maybe take us to Greek town. But um, that's the challenge.